It's good to be back. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. <clears throat> I'd like to read the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1. Obviously, uh, over the last two years, Plus, I've grown to appreciate and value prayer much more than I ever realized. You know, we talk about praying for one another, and and uh, we often, uh, I think some people often will, you know, you'll, you'll give a request and, oh yeah, I'll pray for you, and that's sort of the end of it. But I'm so thankful that I have people, hundreds of people, probably thousands of people around the world praying for me. And over the last two years, as I mentioned, I think the last time I was here, when I started this journey, I used to say, uh, I wouldn't choose this journey, but I wouldn't take anything for it. But I'm at the point where if I, knowing what I know today, I would choose it to be able to learn what I've learned. I was in the Lord's work 50 years before this cancer. You know, when I thought I had it all together and thought I really knew the Lord and and really knew the word, I tell you, nothing compared to what he has taught me and shown me and proven himself to me through these years. I would not take anything for this uh, privilege of, of the journey. Would I like to be healed? Sure. But more importantly, I want him to be glorified. And I want him to use this for his glory and that, so that I finish well. I think that ought to be the cry of every one of us, that we finish well. God has been, again, so gracious. And as you've got the updates, <clears throat> many of you and, and the chapel here, uh, through the years, or through the two years, uh, you, you, each update I've tried to, to share what God's doing in, in my life. And... It's, it's amazing how he works. I've camped out in several scriptures, and I say camped out rather than just say meditate on, because, because meditate, you, you really should refer to like a cow with the various stomachs, and you take something down, keep it there a little bit, and then it comes up to the next stomach, keep until you, you've got it thoroughly digested. Well, <clears throat> I like the word camping, because you go camping, you come home, you do other stuff, you go back to that. And I've camped out in so many scriptures over the last two years, Psalm 34 and, and other psalms uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 4. Every place that I've camped uh, in the scriptures, uh, I wind up with a, a series of messages, and I get frustrated because I can't just dump them all on everybody at the same time. But over the last two months, <clears throat> starting uh, uh, two months ago, a little over two months ago, uh, because of some things that we're going through at one of the chapels that I'm working with now, uh, the Lord really burdened me from Colossians chapter 1. So I've been camping Colossians chapter 1 for two months. And I, and I can tell you right now, from chapter 1 of Colossians, I've got eight messages I can give to you this morning, nonstop, because it's been such a blessing and encouragement to me. But part of that, a big part of Colossians chapter 1, not only... It, 
it has been so great and precious to me because of what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ. And and here's four messages for you. Uh, uh, Steve and, uh, and Chris and others, Matt and, and Dave, you guys all speaking here, that you, you might develop on the person of Christ. You have the majesty of Christ in verses 15 through 19. All that he is. And you read through that, you find out that he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of every creature. He, he's over all, above all, through all, for all, you know. And then he also is the head of the church. And in him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells upon. The majesty of Christ, just how great he is. Do you realize what a great Savior we have in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then the next thing I find, after we find out all that he is, the majesty of Christ, I found out in this chapter the ministry of Christ. Because of all that he is, he does. Because he's God, he created. Because he's God, he reconciles. Because he's God, he redeems. And all of that in this chapter. Because of all that he is, he does. He could do none of those things if he was not who he claimed to be and who he proves to be. And then that's verses 20 through 25. And then in verses 26 and 27, we have the mystery of Christ. And this is where it gets so amazing when you think about it. The mystery of Christ. All that he is, he is in you. Do you realize that God dwells in you? And that's called the great mystery of this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, all that he is. So do we have anything to fear? Do we have anything to worry about? Do, you know, think of who's dwelling with us. Who's walking with us. Who's around? All that he is, he is in you. And then in the last part of the chapter... The last few verses, we have the minister of Christ. All that he is in you, he desires to be through you. He wants you to take him now to the world. All that he is in you, he wants to be, he longs to be through you. Anyhow, that's the last part of the chapter. We want to look at the first part of the chapter this morning. Where I've been amazed going through this and as I camped there is the prayer of the Apostle Paul. I got to the point from doing this and reading this and 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 thinking about the prayer of the apostle, prayers of the apostle Paul. I went through all of his epistles, and I don't know if I have the number correctly, but there are at least forty-two in my counting prayers that the apostle Paul prayed. And the further I got into those prayers that Paul prayed, I said I don't know anything about prayer. And I think often as Christians, we don't understand really what prayer is. There's nothing wrong with praying for physical things. And I thank God that you do pray for my physical needs. But so many of us, that's all we pray about. You know? Well, this friend that's, that's, that's got cancer, this friend that's left, you know, his father's in the hospital, this friend, you know, and, and we go through it. We need to pray for those things. But we need to learn how to pray for one another on a different level. We pray so often for the physical level. But every one of us know 
there's a far deeper level than physical. Physical is temporary. And if you're a believer in Christ, physical, you can't lose. I don't care how much, uh, how many problems you have, how much suffering there is, how much sickness, you can't lose. You know, we talk about wanting to go to heaven. Why do we hang on so much to this whole <laughs> life? You know, if we really believe. Physical is important. And there's no question we need to pray for that. But really the important is to move into a spiritual dimension. And when you read the majority, not all of Paul's prayers, he does pray, you know, that God would give him strength. He does ask people to pray for him, that he would have an open door of ministry, physical, tangible things. And they're right to pray for. But the bulk of his prayers, when you read them, you will find out that they're devoted to not the physical, not the temporal, but the eternal. And I believe one of the reasons we're failing in the church today is because we're more wrapped up in the physical and temporal than we are the eternal. And we need to, to refocus. We need to realign our, our thinking. And Paul's prayers help us do this. I would encourage you. There are four prayers in, in, in Paul's letters that I believe every Christian should commit to memory. And, and I won't mind it at all if you pray those prayers regularly for me, even though Paul prayed them 2,000 years ago. You can pray them for me anytime you want to because I need the help in these areas. One of those prayers is Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading with verse 3 and read through verse 14. I think I'm going to read the other three prayers to you as well this morning. But turn and follow along as I read. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, stop there just for a second. Notice when you read Paul's prayers how many times... He says, without ceasing. And, and uh, uh, when I pray, Paul was a man of prayer. I don't claim to be a man of prayer. I wish I could, could claim that. I pray, but, but you know, my prayers certainly could not compare to what Paul prayed. So he says, I pray always for you. Since the day we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, for have you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it does also in you, as it doth also in you, since that day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who for who is for you a faithful minister of Christ who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy, or might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So here, Paul is praying for them because, and we're going to look at this prayer in detail in just a couple of minutes. But as we go back, turn back with me just because you can flip backward now in your Bible to, to Ephesians chapter chapter 1, first of all. In Ephesians chapter 1, we have another of those great prayers of the Apostle Paul. And starting in verse 16, we have this prayer and it goes through the end of the chapter. Ephesians 1, 16. He says, <clears throat> verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Notice when Paul prays for them here. He prays, first of all, he says that they may, that God would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That we would get to know God and know him in a wise way. I think that there are, there's a world full of people today that know him intellectually, but not in the wisdom of God, knowing him and understanding who he really is. So he prays that the eyes are understanding. Secondly, be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of our calling. Do we really know what our hope is all about? And again, I'm amazed as I've gone through the scriptures thinking about these prayers of, of the hope that we have as believers. And our hope is not wishful thinking. We all know that. Our hope, really, we know is a guarantee. Our hope is the assurance that we have, the confidence that it's going to be as God has said. But he also talks about in this prayer, he talks about uh, the exceeding greatness. We need to know, know uh, uh, the knowledge of, of God. We need to have our eyes enlightened. We need to know the hope of our calling. We need to know the riches that we have uh, of him as his inheritance. Do you realize most people read this verse and think, well, it's our inheritance. No, you are his inheritance. And he says, that's his riches. Think about that. He is so excited to someday have you home with him because you're his inheritance. All that he's, he invested his life for, you are. You're his inheritance. And so then we, he prays that we know what is exceeding greatness is power to us who believe. Do you really know the power of God in your life? 
I, I think I'm beginning to learn something, but I still, what, I, what I've seen God do has just been amazing. And I know, because if you turn over just two pages in Ephesians to chapter 3, I know this precious promise that he gives at the end of another prayer. When we look at chapter 3, he prays, verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in you in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes all not passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him. Here it is. He's prayed, and again, some of the things he's prayed in these other prayers, but he's prayed now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in, in us, to him be the glory. All praise that we might know what we ask God can do even more if we allow him. What an awesome God we have. What a powerful, amazing God. And therefore, he deserves all the glory. All the glory. And that should be our goal in life, to give him all the glory. Then we have in uh, Philippians chapter 1, this prayer. This is the fourth prayer. The first prayer was Colossians chapter 1. Second prayer, Ephesians 1. Third prayer, Ephesians 3. And now in Philippians chapter 1. And this is a, a prayer that... Uh, for years I have loved and have used especially ingredients of or thank you notes and so on that I've written. But we have this. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the praise of God, unto the glory and praise of God. Again, notice that he thanks God for them, for their fellowship, but he prays for them, and he prays that their love would abound, that their knowledge would, uh, they would have knowledge and judgment. They would be able to have discernment as you go through this. And that they're filled with fruits of righteousness. Now, just a skim of those prayers. How often have you prayed for people? 
that they would be filled with fruit of righteousness, that they'd be filled with joy, that they would, their love would abound, that, that they would really find a, a joy and satisfaction in their hope, that they would know the strength of God working rather than trying to battle problems on their own by themselves, that they would think about it. How much stronger would our fellowship be if we prayed for those things along with the, the temporal and physical? But those spiritual things are so, so essential. We pray, pray that, you know, for, for Matt as he's this job application, uh, uh, if, if the Lord wants him to have it, that he'll put Matt there as a light. You give Matt the strength to to be that light and that salt in that position. You know, yeah, there'd be a blessing to, to he and Daniel. You know, but there's much more. God plants us where we're supposed to, as the, uh, uh, you know, where we're supposed to shine, where we're supposed to to be His witnesses. But we need strength to do that. Hate to admit it, been in the Lord's work all these years. And there are still times where I struggle and letting my light shine. Lord's given an opportunity, what do I do? And walk off instead of, Lord, this may be the only time this person will ever hear. This may be the only time they'll ever see someone living Christ before them. What am I doing with it? Think about it. Well, I'm not preaching now to look at the word and teach a little bit. Colossians chapter 1, in this prayer, if you look through uh, this prayer of the Apostle Paul, and, and we, we won't be able to anyways near cover this prayer this morning, but if you look at this prayer, uh, the, there, there's really, if you break it down, you see the, the cause of the prayer, you see the content of the prayer, and you see the consequences of the prayer. And so when you look at this, the, the, the cause of the prayer, the practical reasons that Paul is praying for the believers at Colossae. When you read in verse 9, the very first part of verse 9, Paul says, for this cause, we also now, he's given a thanksgiving. He has thanked uh, uh, the, uh, the believe, th- thank God for the believers at Colossae for three things. He had thanked God for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their love for all the believers and for the hope that was laid up for them in heaven. He thanks God. Paul is confident. And I emphasize this because this is one of the churches that Paul wrote to that he had never visited, that he was not a part of establishing. If you follow the missionaries' journeys, Paul had not yet been to Colossae. You see. But he had heard. He had heard about them. And he had heard of these three things. Paul was confident, and I would suggest to you, these are three characteristics that will tell you if you're a true believer or not. We have churches filled today with people who think they're believers, but they're not. There's no evidence in their life. There's no fruit. But I can tell you right off the bat, you ought to be able to identify a true believer by three things. First of all, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not trusting in their good works. They're not trusting in, in their own righteousness. 
They're not trusting in church membership. They're not trusting and evaluating themselves compared to anybody else because they recognize they were sinners and that Christ died for their sins. They understand that the only way of salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not many ways. There's one way, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. One name that could save us. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he knew, they understood the gospel. They understood that their faith had to be in Christ. Not in self, not in works, not in church, not in anything else but the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, and by the way, I say this because a lot of professing Christians, and, and I, I do ask unusual questions often when I'm talking to people witnessing. And one of the questions I ask them uh, is, uh, is the question of, of uh, uh, how do you expect to get to heaven? You know? And you'd be amazed at the answer I get from professing Christians. You know? Well, you know, I, I think that my, my good works are, you know, well, we already know it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. And you go through, and everything they come up with, God's already dealt with them. The scriptures says that didn't get it. There's one thing that gets it, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing, and one thing only. You ask him, you know, if you die today, would you go to heaven? Well, you can tell almost immediately whether a person is a true believer or not. Because they'll say, well, well, I hope so. I think I will. Listen, my Bible tells me I can know. I can know. I don't have to guess about it. I don't have to wish for it. I can know that I'm on my way to heaven. According to 1 John chapter 5. Why? Because I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, you know, so, so this is the first evidence. What are they trusting in? Who are they trusting? And I was amazed. Uh, uh, I don't know, Linda, are you taking John's class on uh, the Gospel of yeah. John? Mm-hmm. What he said last Tuesday night, and I'm not taking the class, May is, but I tell you, when he got the quotes from uh, MacArthur and uh, on uh, uh, what some of these televangelists are, are teaching and how they've denied the deity of Christ and totally destroyed, and yet that's what most Christians are living on today is heresy. False doctrine. Get into the Word. It's God's Word that's going to change our lives and transform us. So it's faith in Christ. He's the only way. And if He's not all that He claimed to be, then He's nothing. And we're wasting our time. He either is or isn't. There's no in between. And then we also said your their their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for all the saints. How do we treat one another? And again, I realize that love is a very abused word today. But if you understand what biblical love is, the, the agape love that, that God speaks about in his word and is, that's given to us, his love for us and the love that we're to have for one another and for him, I tell you, you see it pretty quick. I've been blessed over the last, let's say, since we left Guelph, it's hard to believe it's 12 years ago that we left Guelph. 
And during those 12 years, we've had the privilege of working primarily with the two assemblies uh, uh, west of us. But we, uh, the one little assembly was a much older assembly, filled with old people. I shouldn't say filled, a few old people, you know. But over the last three or four years, God has just broken through there doing such a great work, and everybody that has come to the assembly, everybody, over the last three years has said, we felt such love and such openness here, such joy in being together with one another. Praise the Lord. That ought to be the evidence of every place we are. People, they walk by the door here in the hotel. Those doors are open. They ought to see them. We just love one another. We're having a great time, you know, with one another. Because that's characteristic. Did I mess it up there? Oh, I hit the mark. Okay. So anyhow, love one for another. And then he thanks them for the hope that they got for the man. Obviously, these believers were not ashamed to share that they had a hope. Their hope wasn't in the idols. Their hope, their hope was and as often say, you know, we have a future that's out of this world. It's unbelievable when you think about it and what is in store for us ahead. Anyhow, Paul, the practical reason that he prays for them, he's given this thanksgiving so we know why he thanks God for them. But really, the practical reason for praying for them is because of what he heard. The things that he just thanked God for. Because he goes through and he says, since, verse 4, we heard of your faith and love, he says, we uh, we give thanks for you. Now then you go on down and you look out for this cause. Since the day we heard it. So he's taking us right back. Here's the practical cause. This is why we need to share testimony. This is why we need to communicate together as believers. Because what people hear. What people hear, they should be stirred to thank God. They should be stirred to pray. Sometimes I wonder when people hear Jack Carrelton, does that cause them? I thank God for Jack. You know, I thank God because, and this has been one of the exciting things through this journey. You know, I have got cards and notes and emails from my young people that I work with at camps and stuff way back in the 70s. I had one that just so touched me, a dear girl that, uh, I did not know this till she wrote me a, a, a card. And she said, Jack, I want you to know how much the updates have meant to me. And I'm sorry I've never told you this before, but I still remember Galilean Bible Camp. The summer, and she gave the date when you were there as our Bible teacher that I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I had no clue. I just assumed she would from a solid Christian family. She was a, a just a great young lady, you know. And I just assumed she was a She said, Jack, I want you to know that day it can't turn my life around. And she went on and told me something about her family. And all. Wow. So when she heard, I'm thankful. She thanked God that she also was praying. What a people, if they hear your name, 
They say, well, I hope I never see that person again. Or did they say, praise <laughs> the Lord. Thank God. I, I, it was such a joy and privilege to, to know that person and to, you know, have whatever kind of relationship you have. That's the kind of life we ought to be as Christians. Sad to say, I'm sure there are thousands of people that write and say, I dread, hated the day I first met you, and I still do, you know. But that's not the way it should be for us as believers. So Paul, very practically, for this reason, since the day we heard it, he says, not only do I thank God for you, I pray for you. And he says, as I pray for you. Now, again, remember, Paul's not met these believers. Paul does not know them. He only knows them from what he heard from one of his co-workers, a man by the name of Epaphras. And Epaphras is called your faithful minister, the Colossian church. He, he worked among the believers at Colossae. Maybe Epaphras was the one that, that God used as the instrument to, to bring the gospel to them. We don't know. Those are blanks that the scriptures don't fill in for us. But we do know that Paul knows Epaphras. Epaphras was instrumental in the church at Colossae. And, and Epaphras said, Paul, you got to hear about these Christians. It's amazing what God's doing in their midst. You know, their faith, their love, their hope. And Paul says, wow, thank God for that. I want, I want you to know I'm praying for you. As we read this prayer, this prayer could be read in different ways. You could read it and say, well, Paul prays for lots of things. Actually, Paul prays for one thing in this prayer. And the rest of the prayer are consequences of that or results of that in prayer. That request, as the Apostle Paul gives it to us, that prayer request is found in this statement in verse 9. After he says, for this cause, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire. Here's his request. Desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That is Paul's single request. That you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now again, I, God's will is, is something that's so important to all of us. But the reality is we've complicated God's will. We've made God's will something that's almost frightening and and causes, well, if we miss it, we're sunk. The reality is God has revealed his will to us in his word. And if we are obedient to the things that God has revealed as his will, and there are a number of things that he specifically says, this is the will of God. There are other things that simply because part of the things that are defined as the will of God, it's obedience if we're obedient to what God has said in his word. You don't have to wrestle and struggle with, okay, God, is, is my will that, that I have to go to Africa to serve as a missionary? Or, God, is it my will that I marry so-and-so? God, is it my will that I go to this university or that? I think that we can seek some direction and guidance. But the reality is, if we're living in obedience to what God has revealed in his word, it's just taking the next natural step. It's just doing, walking in obedience, and doing God's will is trusting him, 
God is sovereign. God's in control. God's open doors. God closes doors. So if I'm obedient, I'm going to be hearing what God's saying and opening and closing doors. You see, it's not a struggle. It's not a battle. It's obedience that he gives to us. And this is what he is. And he asks, notice as he asks this request, he asks that we be filled with the knowledge. See, again, so often, we don't necessarily want to be filled. We want to know God's will for this specific thing. Rather than filled with the knowledge. It, it, it's complete. It's, it's full. It's, it's much bigger than one decision. I mean, every decision has consequences. There's no question. But if I'm living in obedience today, what does the psalmist say? That he'll even give me the, the delights of my heart. You see. Why? Because I'm walking in obedience. I've probably quoted this to you before, but a dear man up in northern Ontario that he and his wife were tragically killed here in southern Ontario in a car accident together. And I had their two funerals. But before this man died, one of the last things I remember him saying to me was this, Jack, remember this. If it pleases you to please God, you can do as you please. <laughs> now that stuck with me, you know. If it pleases you to please God, you can do as you please. Isn't that great? Think about it. If we're walking in obedience, I'm pleasing God. If I'm walking in obedience, then my next step, you see, God's going to give me that desire if I'm walking in obedience. The problem is, are we walking in obedience? So it says this is the will of God. And I very quickly just give you some scriptures and things that the Bible does say is the will of God. We are warned, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 5, that we should not walk as fools, but we should walk as wise people. And after he says that, he says, understanding what the will of God is. If you want to be wise, understand what God's will is. And again, God's will is revealed in God's word. And so as you go through the scriptures, here are a number of things that the Bible says is God's will. First of all, God's will is that you be saved. Okay. Now, I, I very... Uh, uh, very much I uh, want to tell you I believe in a sovereign God I believe I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world but I believe very clearly the Bible says I have to trust Christ and he hasn't twisted my arm he didn't force me there comes a point where I have to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and I'm accountable for that decision and as we look at this he says for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who wills all men to be saved. It's his desire. His desire was so strong that it pleased him to send his son. His desire was so strong that he allowed his son to be brutally treated and crucified so I could be saved, so you could be saved. God's will is our salvation, and he proved that will of his. We read in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. Some may count slackness, but long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He's made the provision. People go to hell because they've rejected Christ. That's simple. All right? So we read this. This is God's will that you be saved. God's will is that you surrender yourself to serve him. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed with your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's will is, give yourself over to me. Trust me. Stop being conformed to the world. Be the different person I've, I've saved you to be. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All right? We're to be different. Why do we not see a difference in the lives of believers today? Maybe it's because they're not true believers. Maybe it's because they're not walking in God's will. Obedience to his word. God's will is, thirdly, that you be spirit-filled. Again, Ephesians chapter 5. Be not drunk with wine. Uh, be not be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not uh, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, let me just say this right out of the bat. When you trusted Christ, you got all the Spirit you're going to get. Okay, don't forget that. Okay. So being filled with the Spirit isn't getting more Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is the Holy Spirit getting more of you. It's the Holy Spirit getting control of your life. He draws a comparison of alcohol, strong drink, with being filled with the Spirit. What does alcohol do? You take a drink, okay, it immediately begins to affect you. It begins to control you. And as you drink, more and more control. As you begin to experience God's will, I want to tell you, you want God's will. And, and this is what he's saying here. So God's will is that you be filled with the Spirit. Don't try to control your own life. You can't. You're going to mess it up no matter what. Allow the Spirit of God to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, to convict us. And the other ministries of the Holy Spirit. And for you and me, our part is stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. But I know that so often as Brethren, we're afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit. Well, I tell you, the Holy Spirit's part of the triunity. He's co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And we need to understand his ministry in our midst. And we need to allow him to do his ministry in our midst. Okay. Next, we find out that God's will is our sanctification. And really, if I had to summarize God's will after salvation and surrender... All the rest of the points can be put under this one. Sanctification. Set apart to God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3 it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. All right? Now, in that immediate context, it's talking about moral purity. But sanctification throughout the New Testament talks about being separated to God. We need to be separated in moral purity. We also need to be separated in every other area that we come to. And so God's will is our sanctification. And part of that sanctification process is, and this is the next two points, is where it really gets tough. To be a believer that has surrendered, say you're saved, you've surrendered, and you're set apart now to God. And being set apart to God, part of that's going to be, number one, submission. Now again, submission is, such an abused word in the church today. 
because we've said, always, everybody's talks about wives submit yourself to your own husband. You think that's the only verse in the Bible that talks about submission. All you have to do is read a couple of verses earlier and it says, submitting yourselves one to another. Every person needs to learn submission. And sad to say, most of us struggle with that. One of the hardest lessons I've learned in the last two years has to do with submission. Submission in the sense, I like control. I like to know, you know. Well, God says, listen, let me control you. You stop trying to be in control. It's a hard lesson to learn. But that's what submission is all about. Letting God be in control. In 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it's to kings as supreme, to governors, those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that you suffer for doing good, not for your disobedience. See, many people today suffer because of their disobedience. You know, you go down the road and, and all of a sudden you see the Holstein car with the, with the flashing red light and you suffer. You're suffering because the policeman doesn't, uh, that wasn't fair. No, you suffer because, why? You were disobedient. So we're to suffer for doing good, not for doing evil. One of the most hurtful things that's happened to me over the last two years plus of, of the cancer is I had one man that, I had to be involved with discipline in the local church in his life, and he blames my cancer on our discipline in this man in the church. I'm thankful I can look him in the eye and say, that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. This cancer is far bigger than my discipline of you. This is God's working for his glory. So, But people sometimes think that automatically. God says, listen, if you suffer... It's okay. Expect it. We're still in the human race. We're still here. But let's make sure there are sufferings for doing what's right. Not because we've disobeyed the authorities that he's placed in our life. That's it. All right. So God's will is that we be submissive and that God's will is that you suffer. Again, in 1 Peter 4. Verse 419 of 1 Peter. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit the keep, keep their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creature. If you're suffering, sorry, God, I can trust you. God is good. All the time. God, God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. God is good. We've got to remember that. God is so good. The goodness of God, read the Psalms. And how many times you tell us, the Lord's good. And, and, and then we just praise him and give him thanks. And so, even when we suffer, does the scriptures not tell us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, yea, and all who live godly, Christ Jesus, well, you might have to suffer persecution. Doesn't say that. Just, we'll, we will suffer persecution. We can expect it. Now, when I look around today at Christians, I suggest to you that what I see is telling me there's not too many godly Christians around. Am I wrong? I say that. Now I also do realize that there's different forms of suffering and persecution. 
And I think there are some here in North America that are suffering persecution in ways that we don't often realize. And so we cannot just say, well, okay, Christianity in North America has gone to the dogs because there is suffering here in North America. In fact, I think that as a whole, Christians are suffering because we're the only group of people in North America now that have no rights. Every other group of people have rights. So we can say that Christians are suffering because we, we've been, we're treated as if we have no rights. And we need to, to be aware of that. And we need to, as believers, stand up for sure. And then God's will is, as we read further, that you say things. We ought to be the most thankful people on planet Earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, I, over the last, again, I always observe different things with people. We went through a, a stage where you never heard the word thanks. The last few months, I've heard it so often. People saying, thank you. Even holding a door. Used to, people just walk on. But people, So I'm thankful to begin to hear the word thanks again. But I wonder if God sometimes sitting up there and saying, why don't they ever say thanks? They sure complain. Why don't they ever say thanks? I tell you, I don't know how you feel, but I can tell you, I'm the most, most blessed man on planet Earth. I have so much to be thankful for. Every one of us do. And I know, I know every one of you in this room, with, with the exception of uh, who's besides that, David. Uh, I think I saw you once before, David. But but I, everybody in this room, these, these are my sheep. <laughs> You know, and I, and I know them. I've walked through some deep water with some of you. And I'm praying for, for, for a lot of you still, with, for unsaved loved ones and so on. But I tell you, we need, I thank God for you. And we need to just get in the habit. God says, let me hear it. Give thanks to him. Give thanks for one another. Be a thankful people. We are blessed. So God said, well, is that we say thanks. Now I can tell you, it's a whole lot easier to say thanks according to Ephesians 5 than it is to 1 Thessalonians 4. Or than 1 Thessalonians 5. In 1 Thessalonians 5, in. Right in the midst of it. It's hard. Ephesians 5 gives us a little break. Giving thanks for all things. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm really not bad at that through the years. After the fact, thank you, God, for getting me through it. Thank you, God, for, you know, after the fact. And, and that's important. But I tell you, right in the middle of our circumstances is where thanksgiving comes from our heart. When we can truly thank God. And so remember, remember this. Paul prayed that we might have a full knowledge of God's will. 
And that knowledge governed by wisdom and spiritual understanding. And if we have that, then the prayer goes on. Then we're going to be strengthened and we're going to to all these other things they mentioned that are a result of being filled with the will of God. So let me say this about the will of God in closing because our, our time has passed. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the hands of God cannot mold you, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you, where the riches of God cannot supply you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercy of God cannot sustain you, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the authority of God cannot overrule you. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the peace of God cannot calm your heart, your fears, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. The will of God is the safest place you can be on planet Earth. And that's my encouragement to you today. Are you saved? Have you surrendered? Are you set apart? Say thanks. To him be the glory. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is living. It's powerful. Father, it's that which grows us, changes us, challenges us. Father, we're blessed to have your word written. We are blessed to have your word living, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you this morning for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the word that you've given to us. I thank you for your great love for us. But Father, this morning I also want to thank you for every person in this room, for the blessing and encouragement that you've brought to me through them. Father, it's our prayer today that you would be glorified in us and through us and that we each one would finish well. I think especially of our young ones here this morning. Father, help them to grow strong in the Lord and have a desire to love and to serve you. And we'll give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for bearing with me this morning. It's so good to be here.